<laughs> don't give up before the miracle happens. Hands down. Absolutely not. Hang in there. Hang in there. Change is possible. Change is a gift that is possible for everyone. I don't care who you are. Change is a gift that's possible. Just be a little bit willing. And if you can't be willing, be willing to be willing. And if you can't be willing to be willing, be willing to be willing to be willing. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of TSP, the Share Podcast, and today we have Ellen DeGeneres joining us on the Share, wait a minute, hold it, today we have Don Luttrell joining us on the Share Podcast. Don is a comedian, an entertainer, and one of her stand-up acts is an impressive imitation of Ellen DeGeneres. She looks like her, sounds like her, and without question, just as funny. Don joins us today to share her story. It is unbelievable. Folks, brace yourself. This one is another roller coaster ride. It's so touching. It's so gripping. You don't want to miss a moment of this episode. But there's another reason why Don is on the show today. She will be hosting the In Recovery Magazine's third annual Gratitude Gala and Comedy Night in Scottsdale, Arizona on November 18th of this year at the Hilton Squaw Peak Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona. So if you're listening to this episode right now and it's before November 18th, then go to the Share Podcast, go to Don Luttrell's show notes, and there you have a link to the In Recovery Magazine ticket sales as well as a Facebook page where you can also purchase your tickets. And again, Don will be hosting the event as Ellen as well as the opening act for Alonzo Bowden, American comedian and actor, winner of The Last Comic Standing. So if you live in Arizona, get your tickets now. And now without further ado, let's jump into Ellen's heartwarming and heart-wrenching story. But first, I'm going to read one of the iTunes reviews that I thought was very cool, and I haven't read an iTunes review in a while. So I'm going to try to get back into that routine. And this one is from KTB Gordon. The title is So Inspirational. And he writes, So I have never tried drugs before, but I have dated and been friends with people over the years who have struggled with drug addiction, and I stumbled across this podcast and find every story so moving and inspirational. You do such a great job guiding people and making them feel comfortable enough to really share their experiences. I always save the new episodes for my long drive home from work. I love rooting for the people and hearing how so many have found meditation, yoga, plant-based diets, etc. Keep up the great work. Absolutely love this podcast. KTB Gordon, hope you're listening. Thank you so much for that great review. It is great to know that not just addicts are getting inspiration from this, but family members from addicts and friends of addicts who really need to hear that there is actually hope out there for the addicts that are still suffering. So for those of you out there who have not written a review on iTunes, Please, one of the best ways to help support the show is to go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review, and that helps catapult us up the ratings on iTunes, which will make it easier for more and more people to find the Share Podcast. Now, in the past, many of you have asked, hey, oh, how can I help support the show? Well, I'm going to keep it simple for you. First, I want to thank the people who have sent us donations via PayPal. There are a few of you that still continuously send donations on a monthly basis, but we can always use more. So 
On a weekly basis, I have over 5,000 listeners every week who listen to the Share Podcast. So if 100 of you guys would send me five bucks a month, that would completely support the show from beginning to end. So for those of you who have the wherewithal to send me five bucks, either PayPal or by Patreon, then please feel free to do so. We could really use the support. Also, when you're purchasing stuff on Amazon, there are those of you that are still clicking on the Amazon link on the Share Podcast website before doing their purchases on Amazon. But again, there are thousands of you listening. If each and every one of you could just remember to go to the Share website, click on the Amazon button before you do your shopping, that is also going to make a tremendous difference for us financially. So I haven't been one to emphasize it in the past, right? But now we've got a solid listener base. I know you guys love the show. I know you guys get a lot out of it. There are those of you just like in the meetings that are newcomers, the money's tight. Keep listening. The show will always be for free. The Share Podcast Private Accountability Group will always be for free. But for those of you who can, kick in a couple of bucks. Help us out here. And not to forget the Share Podcast Private Accountability Group. Again, it's growing like crazy. Guys, go to the Share Podcast, www.thesharepodcast. Click on the button that says join the Facebook private group. And while you're at it, right underneath, it says follow us on Facebook. Click on that one and that will take you to the fan page. Go to the fan page and click like if you haven't done so. Let's build that audience. The fan page likes make a big difference in also finding the share podcast. But for those of you that are in the private accountability group, you know how vital and important that has become. There's over 1,500 members in there. If you don't want to go to meetings, if you have problems connecting with people, if you need something more than just the podcasts and are not ready to cross over into meetings or some other structured program, then the private accountability group is perfect for you. Jump in there, make comments, ask questions, or just read the posts. There are so many people out there that have the same questions that you have all you have to do is just read those and then read all the follow-up answers and responses that come. And make sure to subscribe to my weekly newsletter so you know every single time a brand new episode is launched. And of course, if you have any questions, just email me, o at thesharepodcast.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. So now a quick message from our sponsors, and then on to the show. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www SoberNation.com. SoberNation is putting recovery on the map. And finally, would you like to receive the most popular AA daily devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from the 24 hours a day, AA thought for the day, daily reflections, big book quote, just for today, as Bill sees it, plus more. You can get our distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Go to daily aaemails.com for more information. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends in meetings and with sponsees in recovery. Now back to the show. Hey, John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Oh, It's so exciting to have you on the show. How are you feeling? 
I am feeling great and grateful, to be quite honest. Me too. Absolutely. Attitude of gratitude. You betcha. All right. So, folks, today we have Don Luttrell joining us on the Share Podcast. Don is a recovering addict and a comedian entertainer who does one hell of a job impersonating Ellen DeGeneres. I, I I hear that I do. I, I'm not sure I do, but a lot of people seem to think I have it nailed. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you do, Ellen. I mean, Don. <laughs> right, right. I'm the sober Ellen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, uh, I had the opportunity to check out some of her YouTube videos, and uh, I'm going to post those on the show notes uh, so you guys can go ahead and check those out. They're absolutely hysterical. You know, obviously, we're all in recovery. If you're listening to this podcast, you're in recovery, and it, you'll get all the jokes. I promise you. Uh, and you got to see the video because it's it's uncanny. E- even though Don says uh, she absolutely does not, uh, she's a dead ringer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive right in. Um, we've got a lot to discuss uh, tonight. So first, I just we just want to get to know a little bit about what you do. On a regular basis, Don, what's your normal daily routine look like, including recovery? Um, let's see. I usually um, I usually start the day with a good stiff black cup of coffee, and um, I'm an early riser, so I'm at it pretty early, maybe sometimes before the sun comes up. And I just kind of take that time uh, to be with uh, my higher power, and uh, my prayers are usually conversational. You know, I, I just try to have a conversation with God first thing in the morning because of and by myself, I'm going to train wreck the entire day, you know, <laughs> whether I want to or not. <laughs> so <clears throat> we have to have a little meeting in the morning. And um, I start out by listing all the reasons I can't. And then I wait for the reasons why I can. And uh, day by day, I just make a choice to say, you know what, let's go with your plan. It sounds more m- more like it's going to work out than mine. So, you know, tomorrow I may choose my own plan and and who knows what could happen. But, but each day I just try to make the choice to do God's will and not mine and be able to do whatever comes my way, you know, and, and with that too comes a, a good review of steps one through three for me. No, I can't drink. God help me not to drink. And, you know, let's do this clean and sober. So that in check I try to take the option of of a drink or a drug off the table right away and just kind of surrender. I mean, from there, now from there, it's a complete tug of war the rest of the day. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ten minutes after, I've already taken it all back. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's back and forth. But at least, you know, we start out good and uh, and then we just keep going. So that's that's how I try to start every day. And, and then from there, I, I try to do a gratitude list because I have – so much, so much to be grateful for. My life is good, and I need to know that and remember that. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. So what is it? I know that uh, initially the reason why we connected is because there is an event that's going to be coming up shortly for you. Uh, it's a gala event. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what's coming up, what the dates are, and you know what to expect? I sure can. Uh, November 18th in Scottsdale, Arizona is uh, In Recovery Magazine's third annual Gratitude Gala. And it's a night of awards for people who go above and beyond in recovery. 
And it's also a way for the magazine to give back to all the people that have supported them in their mission um, throughout the year. And it also raises funds uh, for different charities around the area for people to get into treatment and to get help. So it's pretty multifaceted and and pretty amazing. And and two, it's it's people in recovery, people who work in recovery. Um, it's a chance for them to come together and you know, that's a pretty heavy job day in and day out being in the trenches. And it gives them a night to just kick back, laugh and have a good time. Um, so I was actually gifted the opportunity to MC the event, which, which, I mean, that's like saying here, I'm drunk. Why don't you drive? <laughs> well, uh, okay. Um, you know, I don't know what that is, but, um, so I'm going to MC the event and also um, do a little half hour set before the headliner comes out, who is Alonzo Bowden. And I think he's been on Jay Leno. And I mean, that guy is all over the place. I can't even list all the places he is. He was the winner of last comic standing and then returned as a judge to the show. So, I mean, they might as well have just thrown me up on stage with a guitar and said, Hey, sing a song. Simon Cowell's sitting in the front row. So, you know, thanks a lot. No pressure. Right? You couldn't have gotten somebody that was like never heard of, but no, you had to pick last comic standing judge guy for me to get up there in front of. So that'll be entertaining. Hey, so if you want to attend this gala, where do I have to go? Do I, have to- um, I would go to the In Recovery Magazine uh, Facebook page, and I believe there's links on there to purchase tickets. It is a, a ticket purchase. And from In Recovery Magazine uh, website or Facebook, you can get to that link. Excellent. Okay. Folks, again, that information will also be listed on the show notes. So go to the show notes, click on, I'll have the Facebook page listed. By the time this goes live, I'll have all the information. So you guys just go to the Facebook, I mean, go to the show notes and there will be all the information. Excellent. This is so exciting. Are you nervous? I'm, I'm very nervous. I'm I'm actually terrified, I think is the word that I'd like to use, but I don't want to be catastrophizing. But yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's terrifying. But, you know, that's, again, faith, not fear. So I'm going to try that for a while and, and see if that works and just pray that, you know, whatever comes out of my mouth is, is okay during that night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure whatever God has planned for, What's coming out of your mouth is going to be spectacular. Oh, let's hope so. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you know how that situation is going to go because, you know, In Recovery Magazine says, hey, you know, come tell a few jokes at, at the at the gala. And you're like, sure, no problem. And then you end up offending, you know, 500 people in the room. I mean, you're on so many fourth steps. They have to call people in from other districts to hear them all. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it could literally turn into like a fifth step emergency drill. <laughs> You know, let's hope that does not happen. So hopefully I don't offend anybody, but you never know. I don't know. If I was a, if I was a comedian, I'd be offending everybody. I know. It's, it's a tightrope. Let me tell you what. It's a fine line. It is. Oh, boy. All right. So let's talk a little bit now about, you know, where you were. Well, first, tell us how much clean time you have and when is your anniversary date? I have not had a drink or a drug since February 10th, 2011. Outstanding. Outstanding. So we're talking about five years. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. 
Wonderful. I was going to bring up the app on my phone so I could tell you the exact minutes and seconds, but you know, I forgot that would have been even funnier, but dang it. <laughs> I missed, missed the opportunity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Drop that one like a hot potato. But who's keeping track, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody. Right. All right. Just all of our listeners. Um, so how old were you the first time you drank or used drugs? And more importantly, how did they make you feel? I think I was about 13 the first time I drank alcohol. You know, I, I don't remember a lot, but I vaguely remember instantly, instantly feeling for the first time absolutely comfortable in my own skin. And it was so profound that, you know, here I had just felt like this oddball and this, this, this separate person. And then all of a sudden everything was just fluid you know, literally I felt, and I felt absolved. I felt like I could do anything and say anything and have no consequences, you know, that, that I could blame alcohol. Yeah. Instantly, instantly it clicked for me that this is the ticket to say and do whatever I want that I wouldn't say sober. And the next day I can just go, Oh, I was really drunk, you know? And I, and I remember standing in my kitchen, urinating myself and thinking, Damn, we need to do this again next week. This is a blast. <laughs> this is this is the first time. Yes, <laughs> and I just thought we're in trouble now. This is fantastic. You know, I mean, I that is exactly how I felt. I'm standing in my own urine, and I'm like, "This is a. We need to do this again as soon as possible." Oh my god, I absolutely love it, Don. You are officially warmed up here. All right, so it's time for me to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery and into Ellen up until today. <laughs> so take it away. Well, <clears throat> thank you. I, uh, gosh, you know, it, it, it's, hard to, um, it's hard to always know where to start. Whenever I tell my story, I, I try to go with the, the basic you know, experience strength and hope. But with that, I always like to start with the hope first, because if there's a newcomer in the room and, and chances are nine times out of 10, there is, um, or if somebody new is listening to this, I start with the hope because I want them to hear that first. I mean, they know, they know what it's like. They're there and they, whatever happened to them has brought them here. The part that they're missing is what it's like now. You know, when I first came in the rooms, I was all over the place. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't listen. Everything triggered me. I was up and down, in and out of that room. I walked out of so many meetings my first year that, I mean, it just became a regular occurrence. And so I understand that fidgetiness and that uncomfortableness. So I get about three minutes to reach that person and I dive right in. And is that a sales pitch to a degree? Maybe. When I share my story, it's not about me. It's about transcending that into service. And that is reaching the newcomer and, and hopefully helping somebody who's going through something now that I've already been through. So long story short, I, I start with the hope and hope that they are able to open themselves up just enough to hear how my experience or my problem became, you know, my strength or my solution. Right. And how that relates to them. You know, I, everybody's story is so different. And I've heard so many amazing stories in recovery. I mean, the things people have gone through just leaves me breathless sometimes. And 
you know, my story is, is not a lot of bells and whistles and, and I'm not unique, but I, I always found myself comparing rather than identifying, you know, well, I, I'm not like that. I didn't, I've never gotten a DUI. You know, I, I didn't run a car off the road. I mean, these things just kind of separated me a little bit. And it wasn't until later that I could take those details out and, and go with the feelings and concentrate on, on how alcohol made me feel. So a lot of times in sharing my experience, I, I try to relate it to my problem of alcoholism and addiction and, and how it made me feel rather than a lot of the details. But, you know, I, I started out young and instantly loved it. Instantly oh, yeah. loved being out of my head, out of my body. Just, I loved it. You know, that just progressed. The tricky part for me is, I did grow up in, in an alcoholic home and there was some dysfunction there. And I'm, I'm real, I tread lightly on that because, you know, due to some circumstances, our family is kind of estranged. So I never want to say anything that could create more damage in that area. So I'm a little bit general, but, you know, my parents did the best they could. And I saw alcoholism in our home and it was the last thing I wanted the last thing I wanted. I looked at it all the time and thought I will never, ever be like that. Uh, yep. And sure as shit, <laughs> there I was. <laughs> it is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Absolutely. That after all that I've seen, I still sign up and I'll never figure that out. But, you know, I, I did, I did sign up and my life from, from 13 of that first drink onward was a series of, of up and up and downs. And I, I tend to be the kind of alcoholic or drug addict that goes really hard for short periods of time and just completely blows everything up and then smooths it out for a little bit to calm everybody down and then goes back to it. And I literally up until the last five years have spent my entire life doing that. High school, by the time I had was a senior in high school, I had been through rehab twice, court appointed. The first time I went I didn't care. I was like, okay, let's just get out of trouble and go. The second time I went, I did want to go and felt like this is out of control. You know, I don't drink like my friends. When my friends in high school got beer, they show up to the car with a six pack. And I'm thinking, well, what? I mean, that's like, <laughs> wh why even bother? Even then I can trace it back to this whole, I'd show up to the car with a case and I'd be like, there's another case over there. Can somebody help me carry it? And they're like, is that for you? That's, this is mine. Get your own. <laughs> you know, instantly I already knew I didn't drink like my friends and I would drink until I passed out. And that's just the way I wanted to do it. There's no, you know, let's get a buzz or, or let's just have a few. It's never been that way for me. You know, I knew that right away. I knew by a senior in high school, I was well on my way and not like my friends. So <clears throat> that being said, um, I think even then I experienced all of those feelings with alcoholism and addiction that I hear, you know, once I start drinking, I lose control. I instantly lose my power of choice over the next drink. Once I take the first drink, you know, I felt spiritually bankrupt. There was no higher power. There was no sense of God in my life. Um, it was just me, 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 me. And it was more, more, more. And um, I think the biggest thing for me was the mental obsession. Always being mentally obsessed of, okay, well, we're going to drink tonight. Let's drink tomorrow night. And then when can we drink again? 
And that just flew into my life from there on. I did stay sober for a couple of years in after high school. Uh, well, my senior year, part of my junior year and my senior year, I was sober. I actually graduated on the honor roll my senior year, uh, didn't drink, was sober, even attended some some local meetings. It was my first kind of taste of AA. And I was real fortunate. I had my oldest sister. I'm the youngest of three girls in my family. And my oldest sister, who's 10 years older than me, um, was in recovery and big time into recovery. And I watched her as a young, I was, you know, pretty young, watched her really burn out and then come to life. So I I noticed that in her and I noticed that there was a huge change in her. And she was real, real supportive of me. She had lived in a different city, but would, you know, send me cards and, and Hey, Hey, you know, this, this program is great. And, and so I felt like I kind of had a connection with her that I didn't maybe have with my other sisters, you know, long story short, um, take your time. (laughs) (laughs) We want it all. (laughs) You know, the problem here, Oh, is that it's Ellen DeGeneres's body with Robin Williams brain. It's like, it goes so fast. People are like, what? I'm like, I know it just is continual. Um, you know, I just didn't do the deal then the way I was supposed to. I think I did it the best I could for 17 years old. I really do. But I just was not capable of grasping and developing a manner of living that required rigorous honesty at 17. And there was so much that had happened that I still kept to myself. That's the rigorous honesty part for me. I wasn't rigorously honest about how I felt and and things that had gone on and, and things that were, were done. I just put those away. You know, I, I'll say that I did the best I could as well. And those things come back up, you know. So I guess I just kind of put a Band-Aid on it and got my first taste of recovery and, you know, decided that I was just a problem child, not an alcoholic or an addict, and, and could probably drink now because I was, you know, graduating and was okay, right? That was just high school. I wasn't really, I didn't have a problem. Absolutely not. So, you know, and, and, and definitely did drugs in high school. Um, anything that would take me out of me, I, I signed up for. And, you know, eventually I relapsed. And while all my friends in high school were graduating and going off to college, I got this great idea that I was going to be a rock star. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, they've got everything else covered. Maybe I'll be a rock star. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, why, why not? Why not? Why not? So I kind of went out on a limb and, and um, had always been musical, so it wasn't completely out of the blue, but uh, took, a, took a chance and, and auditioned for a band that was touring the Midwest at the time that I had seen play, and they needed a keyboard player, and I said, well, and another female lead vocalist, and I said, hey, I, I can totally do that, which I don't know a thing about playing keyboards, but <laughs> I thought, there's only like 22 of them. It can't be that hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bold. Too bad we didn't have Google back then. But, right? Um, I just Google that. So I, I, you know, over-promoted myself and, and drove from Nebraska to somewhere in Missouri to meet these people that I had met one time and begin living with them on the road, which, you know, I think my parents must have been pretty horrified when I pulled out of that driveway. But, um, that was what I was going to do. And that was going to, that was going to be okay. Well, 
I have to say, you know, after almost a year of that, I knew I had to get out of there and crawl back home or I was going to die. That is where everything escalated and all those yets started to appear. You know, I didn't used to drink every day. Well, now I was. I'd never done cocaine. Well, now that's, you know, I mean, this is the 80s. You know, <laughs> that's all that's all we did. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't get paid by the club. You can just, you know, snort as much coke as you want behind the bar. Well, you know what? I'm kind of hungry, but this ought to take care of that. It was surreal. And there's a lot of nights I spent on stage in a complete blackout. My intentions were good. You know, I, I was a, a songwriter and um, really just kind of wanted, I guess, to believe that this was going to be my path to being able to write songs and go to the next level. Unfortunately, that wasn't in the cards and, and we all spun out pretty, pretty bad. And I can remember being up for three days straight, sitting in a, a rental house in Springfield, Missouri, thinking to myself, you know, this is not this is not going to last very long. I'm not going to last very long in this environment. And uh, I think for the first time in my life, I was terrified. And I grabbed my stuff, had my sister who was in recovery and had kept in contact with me this whole time, send me money for a bus ticket. And I left, got on a bus and, and went back to Nebraska and just kind of left them. Thank God, because, uh, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I would have stayed. And after that point, that opened the door for my sister to take me in and say, hey, uh, Omaha, Nebraska is where she lived. And um, they have amazing recovery there, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Full on. Those people are by the book, hardcore, amazing, amazing people. And uh, she was a big, big part of that, that community. And she suggested that I move there move in with her, get on my feet and, uh, move on with my life. And, and so I, I said, yes. And unfortunately I, when I got there, I didn't stop drinking. I just kept drinking while I was living with her and that didn't last too long. She finally put her foot down and said, look, if you're going to live here, you have to go to a meeting. And I'm like, Oh God, not the meetings. Please don't make me go to a meeting. I'll do anything. But I just, I don't, I don't want to go to a meeting. And she said, well, it's a women's meeting. And I said, oh, well, okay, you know, I could probably go to that. She was smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it about the women's meeting that was so appealing? Well, you know, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I, I'm a little bit gay. And um, <laughs> she clued into that right away. So when she said it's a women's meeting, you know, she's a smart girl. <laughs> she knew. She knew. I said, well, yeah, I, I, I'll probably go to that. That'll be all right. <laughs> so... Um, and it's and it's called Foxy Ladies. Oh, get out of here. No. Foxy Ladies. I said, get me in the car now. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> she was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, that girl exemplified attraction rather than promotion to perfection. And uh and I I I got on board. We went to that first meeting that night, and I remember we were all sitting in a circle. And everybody was introducing themselves by their name and saying if they were an alcoholic or an addict. And when they came to me, I, I just looked at them and said, you know, my name's Don and my sister is an alcoholic. 
Close enough. Close enough. You know, at least I was there. I just couldn't dive back in right away. So she never let me forget that either. Um, that actually ended up to become my home group. And my sister pointed to a woman across the, across the circle and said, that's your sponsor. And I thought, oh, good, I get a sponsor because, you know, I don't want to be putting my own money in the basket. And I, probably, I probably need some new shoes because, you know, we'll be going to meetings and gas money. And, and she said, not that kind of sponsor. I said, oh, okay. Then soon I found out what a sponsor was. But um, she gave me my first sponsor, and I had that sponsor for years, several years, until I actually moved here to Oregon nine years ago. So, you know, she really set me up to succeed. And, uh, I, I stayed sober for, I, I think I had like five years when, and it was, I have to say compared to this, that's probably the second best consecutive string of sobriety I've had. Um, you know, I really got it. I really, really got it. And my sister was always so great at making it look fun. You know, we are not a glum lot. Thank God. You know, we went to concerts. I mean, that girl went to more concerts. I'd be like, Tracy, I'm not going to another concert. You know, (laughs) I thought you were having this much fun sober. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, she would call me in the middle of the night after I had moved out and got my own place. She would call me in the middle of the night and say, I'm going on a 12-step call. I'll pick you up. It's like three in the morning. Right. Yep. I'll pick you up. We had gone to a a 12 step call and the woman would not come to the door. So my sister went to the house next door, got a ladder and put it up to her house and climbed up to her bedroom window. Oh my God. I just thought, wow, this girl is in it to win it. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to be talking to her now. So that was the kind of enthusiasm and attraction that she embodied. And I just remember for the first time in my life thinking, I do, I want what she has. I want what she has because she's happy, she's healthy, she's free, um, she's enjoying life. And that was enough. And I, I stayed in that for five years. Again, you know, in sobriety, there's this thing called the valley of complacency. And I have a tendency when things are going really, really well, to kind of step off the podium and step aside and keep moving back until I'm in the back of the room. And then I look up and I'm like, wow, how did I get back here? And, you know, I try to, when I know better, do better. And, uh, it's taken me a while to figure that out, but I definitely got into that back of the room situation there and and stopped doing what I needed to do. Recovery was no longer first in my life. You know, I had a job. I had a, 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 a relationship. I had bills to pay. You know, I, I don't really have time to go to meetings. Mm, yeah. And that was my first valuable lesson in that um, idea. And, you know, I ended up relapsing and stayed out for, you know, maybe another year or two and then came crawling back in. And when I crawled back in, everybody was waiting. So. Yeah you know, thank God for that grace that we are able to show one another. I'm not always real good at it, but you know, it, it, I've heard it said a million times, it takes what it takes. And and if it takes it all, we're lucky. 
I've had a few takes and, uh, you know, I, I came crawling back and, and dove back in, you know, from that point on, I, I never really got back to the recovery that I had that five years, that first five years, that first real five years. I, I could not quite get back there. And I'm not sure what that is or what that was, but there was a lot of times where I just wasn't drinking because I knew I couldn't drink, not because I wanted recovery, not because I wanted to be happy, joyous and free. It was white knuckle. You know, well, I, I just I can't drink. It, you know, it's weird. It's weird. And I had uh, met the partner that I'm with now. Then, you know, I did not want to lose that. We've been together. We just celebrated 22 years together. last Wow. Month. 22 years. She's been through all of it. Yes. She's been through all of it. Bless her heart. She is like she's like Mother Teresa. <laughs> I mean, bless her heart. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. She she's watched it come and go and has always been a proponent of having it come and not go. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm a better person sober. That's all there is to it. When I drink and use, I'm destructive to myself and to my life. And I just start setting things on fire. Yeah. And, uh, that's what I do. And, um, she was one thing, the one thing I, I, I did not want to set on fire. I did not want to lose. So, you know, I, I just didn't drink. When we moved from Omaha, Nebraska out to Oregon, you know, I hadn't been to meetings for a while and I had shown up to a few meetings here when we first got here and thought, well, you know, maybe I should try it. I'm just not feeling right. And, and I got to tell you, I know long before I'm going to relapse long before I relapse. Oh yeah. I can feel it Mm. in my, down to my toes and I, I know it, it's, it's coming, it's coming, something's off. And, uh, I do believe that my relapse starts before I take that first drink. And I could see a lot of, a lot of things happening. You know, when I was a kid, we, uh, we used to go to Colorado. Every vacation we took was to the same place, Estes Park, Colorado. And, you know, my dad was great about giving me a love of the mountains and the environment and nature and hiking and camping and, uh, and I always have been so grateful to him for that. And Estes Park was kind of like a second home to me. Before we moved to Oregon, my partner and I took a week and, and drove out to Estes Park knowing that we wouldn't be able to make it out there as often. So we spent a week and we were hiking through an area. And I happened to look over and, and see a, a few buildings off in the distance. They kind of look like little cabins. And I thought, oh, that's a treatment center. I remember that now. I had forgotten that there's a treatment center here, but that's a treatment center. Wow. Just didn't even seem pertinent at the time. It almost seemed so random. Like, well, why, why would we even walk by that? You know, more will be revealed. Um, (laughs) God whispered (laughs) ever so gently. Oh, you think I'm funny. God, the God of my understanding, that guy's hilarious. There's times during the day where I'm like, just enough. Okay. Stop it. Um, So I can, put, I can relate. <laughs> yep. He put that little, that little nugget in there for me. And, um, um, you know, shortly after we moved here, um, my sister had moved from her home group and recovery community in Omaha to Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, I was a little bit concerned, like, 
God, you know, you've been there so long and, and you've done so much service and it's, it's your, it's your home group like that. When we're in recovery, you know, the, our support system is everything. You know, those people know everything about us. We really connect and it's, and it's, it's that escaping disaster together that bonds us. And we really bond. Um, our stories may be a little bit different, but we all know that we, we escape disaster and, and we're a tight bunch. You know, when somebody needs us, we're there. And, um, that's the thing I love about recovery. And I saw that in her life and it concerned me to have her uproot herself and move. And I could see that after she had moved, she had stopped going to meetings. And as I, as I talked to her on the phone, I could hear the change. I could start hearing the change. And, you know, and I would kind of give back to her some of what she had given to me. Like, well, are you going to meetings? I mean, you seem kind of down today, you know, just don't seem like yourself. And, um, not that I'm doing great at the time, but you know, it's always better to focus on somebody else. Right. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we had moved here and, um, I, gosh, this, this is the, this is the tough part for me, but she, um, I could see that she, she wasn't her anymore. And, her and I had argued about it and I had stopped speaking to her shortly before we moved here. So when I got here, my parents had called me and they had some concerns about her and I, I was surprised, but yet I wasn't surprised. And I said, well, um, they had told me that she had relapsed. So she had 21 plus years of sobriety and had relapsed two years after she had gotten to Phoenix, maybe even within the first year. And I was shocked. I was, I was dumbfounded. I, I thought, God, if somebody has 21, 22 years of sobriety, they don't relapse. That doesn't happen. That's you have 21, 22 years. That that's, that's, I just have never heard of that. Like that much time should make you immune, right? Right. You're over the hump. And that was the first time where my foundation really got shook and I, and I was concerned. I, I went to battle from that point on to get her back into recovery, back to the steps, back to a sponsor and into rehab. And unfortunately I was met with some resistance of, well, you know, I think it's just other stuff going on. And, uh, that's where we all kind of parted ways of, you know, it's, it's depression. It's, it's, um, you know, yeah, but they're all kind of symptoms of the same place. And, and I really advocated for her to get some help and to get back into recovery because I saw her life in recovery and I know the difference and any depression she may have had was, you know, pretty much seemed at bay to me in, in recovery. And, uh, I really advocated for that and unfortunately did not win that argument. Um, I got a call from my dad that he had received a letter in the mail from my sister that um, by the time they had read that, she would have taken her life. And uh, I've never heard my dad cry. Oh. And I, I knew when he read me that letter and said, how could she do this to me? I hung up the phone immediately and called 911. I knew I had a short window. I, you know, 
they lived in Nevada at the time from Arizona to Nevada. It's got to be a day mail. And I figured I had a shot. So I called Maricopa County Sheriff's office and said, I need you to go to my sister's house and take that front door off. And I have to say the longest moments of my life were waiting on that phone for them to literally take her door off and get inside that house and get her. And they did get her and resuscitated her and brought her back. Um, and it was a long haul. And that was my first inkling of this disease being not only cunning, baffling, and powerful, but deadly to all of us. Absolutely. To all of us. You know, this was my sister who I looked up to, who I adored, who I respected, who showed me the way. And now, you know, this is where we're at. And it was, it was a rude awakening, and it scared me. It scared me enough to go back to meetings here and um, uh, try to get myself back in line so I wasn't next, you know? And it gave me new respect for the progressiveness of alcoholism and addiction. And uh, I, uh, I have to say, you know, oh, I, I don't, I wasn't met with a lot of thank you for saving me. You know, those, those first couple of months uh, with her were, were rough coming back and, uh, we reconnected and, um, I tried to reach her and I, I just couldn't. And I felt for the first time, like, you know, you, you, there's a point where you pass and, and maybe you can't come back. And I didn't want to believe that, but I, I really tried. And, uh, I know she had gone back to some meetings, but just, just couldn't, couldn't get it. But I always felt like now that we have her, we can try, you know, okay, we still have a chance here. Unfortunately, <sighs> um, you know, and her and I really got close again. And, and of course she was reaching out to me. Well, you know, you're doing okay. Right. You know, it's like, well, let's not talk about me right now. No, actually I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, she just couldn't get it. And in uh, September of 2009, she, she checked into a hotel in Phoenix, Arizona and ended her life. <sighs> and there was no coming back from that. <sighs> so I do have to say, you know, it, it seems like I'm telling her story a little bit, but her story now has become my story. There's no way I can tell my story now without telling her story because her story is as important as my story and her story has affected my story. When I got the phone call that she passed, I went to the grocery store and I bought a bottle of wine and I came home and I said, well, 12 steps never did nothing for her. They sure as hell aren't going to do anything for me and I'm done. And I looked at my partner and my partner was in shock and she said, you're not going to do this. Are you? And I said, yep, I am. I am absolutely going to do this. And I went out on the back patio and I drank that whole bottle and I went and got more. And that started for me two years of absolute hell. Oh. Now, <clears throat> the part that I can't figure out now is watching the one thing that should have sent me running deeper into the rooms Seems like it was the one thing that sent me running further from the rooms. 
and I'll never understand that. Never. And that to me is this disease. That to me is this alcoholic addict mind that wants to see me suffer, fail and, and, and die. die. Yeah. My addict said, Hey, this is your door. This is your window. You open it and you go through it, girl. You don't need that. And I listened. And I've spent a lot of my life listening to this person. I honestly believe that there are two of me. There's Dawn in recovery and there's Dawn in addiction. And I have to reconcile both of those people daily because there's one on the left and there's one on the right. And uh, I have conversations with that addict on a daily basis. That addict sits there and says, you're going to fail. Nobody likes you. You're going to go to Arizona and look like an idiot. Well, I mean, they're kind of paying me to go to Arizona to look like an idiot, really. So I, you, know, you lost that <laughs> argument. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> um, you know, so I have to battle that, that other part of me every day that whispers things in my ear. And that night, that addict whispered to me that you don't need that recovery. Didn't do nothing for her. And I, I bought it. The thing is, is that throughout my life, I've had a nice little closet of things that have happened, things that have been said, things that have been done. And when I need them, I just pull them out. I go, oh, you know what? I need that. I'm going to pull that back out and use it. And this was just another one of those things. And I have to say, never in my life have I experienced loss like the loss of my sister. And because me and my sister, my sister and I shared recovery, we had a bond and a connection that was beyond anything. You know, I share that connection with people in the rooms, but to share that connection with my own sister, wow, it was a gift, an absolute gift. So it, it left a big void for me and it was devastating and it really spun me out. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to take myself out. I'm going to, knowing how it feels on this end to watch somebody vanish, I think I'll turn around and do that to somebody else. You know, whatever thinking process I have makes no sense. You know, my partner will look at me and go, what? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's how we think. She's like, wow, that's exhausting. It is. But I'm going to destruct myself and leave you alone because somebody destructed and left me alone. And that was the next two years of my life. All of the yets that I've heard in recovery, in the rooms. I never got a DUI. Well, actually, I still have never gotten a DUI, but um, not because I didn't deserve one or two. Um, I had never drank at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was drinking at 5.30 in the morning. I had never drank an entire week away. I was drunk every single minute of every single day. You know, everything that I hadn't done yet started popping up left and right. And I think it even left me in awe that, you know, I have alcohol buried and hidden throughout my yard. I'm going to work intoxicated and high. I'd never done that. I'm lying to this amazing partner of mine of, 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 you know, 20 some years right in the face. 
and it ate away at me every time I did it. I could just feel myself just the shame, the shame that, that addicts suffer is indescribable. You, you know better and you want to do better. And in those moments, you just can't. I have to say the only way I can describe that two years is I became everything I despised until what I became is what I despised the most. <sighs> yeah. no, I, that's the only way I can describe it. And, you know, the lying and the cheating and the stealing and, you know, marijuana here wasn't legal at that time. So it was a lot of, uh, you know, jeopardizing my partner's profession to buy illegal drugs. And I remember being at this drug dealer's house and thinking, I, I don't belong here. I really don't belong here, but I have to be here. And, and looking at a table full of pills and saying, you know, which, which ones would you like? And, and thinking, I don't want to take these pills, but I have to, you know? And, uh, it just, all of those yets, I just felt like I had never felt in my entire life. I managed to do in two years what, you know, takes some people a good while to work up to. I just was like, well, go big or go home. You know what I mean? I'm an overachiever. Let's get it going. I mean, the only thing I could do was shoot heroin. <sighs> and God spared me from that because I can tell you right now, if I go back out, I know I have another out. I'm pretty dang sure I don't have another in. Mm, amen. If I go back out, that will be next on my list. And I won't even stop at the liquor store. I will go right, right to the heroin over the counter or otherwise. And, um, I think it takes a lot to admit that and say, yeah, I have that in me. I I'm capable of that, but it's the truth. And as an addict in recovery, I have to be honest about that. I have to be honest about who I am, how I use, and what I'm capable of to keep me in check every single morning and take that first step and say, you know, I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable. And uh, that's the humbling start of every day that I say, you know what, I can't, you can. So I'll let you, <laughs> you know, um, because I know what I'll do if I go back out and I'm not willing today to risk it. So, you know, that being said, it, it took a while. It took a good couple of years and, and many attempts. And I finally ended up at that treatment center in Estes Park. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, you know, I was going to go to Betty Ford. I'm like, I'll go to somewhere really nice. You know, I don't know. And yeah, we have a great Hazleton right down the street and not down the street. It's down the highway, but in the next town. But um, it's like I live next door to it. No, I don't. Um, I'm, I'm there right now having coffee. Um, I don't know why I make it sound like that. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'll go there, but I think everybody knew that I was going to, you know, being that close to home, there was a good chance I was just going to hit the highway and find a ride back. So there were only two places that took my insurance. That was one and Estes Park was the other. I had some demons in Estes Park. I got to say, not all those family trips were, were fun laughs and giggles. And I had some dark stuff there and, uh, it was a catch 22 for me to go back to the one thing I was running from to the one place that I've always felt 
safe and okay, if that makes sense. It was a double-edged sword for me there. And so I, I just needed everybody off my back. And so I said I would go. And I'd love to say that I took my last drink at 35,000 feet over the Rocky Mountains, but that's not true because I continued it in the hotel bar in Denver, which was, you know, um, interesting. And then I paid the shuttle driver from Denver to Estes Park to stop at the liquor store. And obviously, old boy was making a, a living doing that because it didn't seem like it was the first time somebody said, hey, I'll give you an extra 20 if you go to the liquor store. <laughs> right. I thought, well, God, I shouldn't even give him the 20 because I didn't really even have to talk him into it. <laughs> Dang it. I could have had that 20. So, you know, I think the, I think the professionals understand, look, if you got to get wasted to get here, we don't care. Just get here. So I rolled up in there in the middle of the night. Um, and that was, you know, my last, my last drink and drug. And, you know, I did take my last drink at at least 9,000 feet in the Rocky mountains. So, but I was not on board when I got there. I tried to leave several times. The first two weeks were, were pretty bad. I just didn't want to be there and I didn't want 12 steps. And when I found out that it was, uh, a step recovery AA program, I was like, huh, no. And I, I fought them pretty hard. And I don't know what happened, but I had a counselor that really had uh, no tact, I think is the nicest way I can put it. <laughs> Thank you, God. Yeah, right. Right? Old school. Yes. She wasn't afraid of me at all. And I told her, we sat down and I said, you're going to say some things, I'm going to say some things, and then we're done. And she said, okay, what do you have to say? And I told her what I had to say. And then she told me what she had to say. And uh, what she had to say was, you know, interesting, I have to say. And it, and I thought, wow, your name is Joy, but you're anything but. And it, <laughs> <laughs> at first I was like, how did I get the meanest counselor here? And now every day, every day, I say, thank you, God, for giving me somebody in my life who was willing to tell me what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. Thank you. Because that woman saved my life. You know, I had a couple of counselors. Uh, it's called Harmony Foundation in Estes Park. And I think what happens in those mountains is magic. And that's all I know. And I believe it. I saw it with my own eyes. And I feel like I'm a miracle from that because something happened two weeks in, you know, this lady told me the things I needed to hear. And and she said, you have a choice to either do a first step for real in your life or to keep doing the first step that you've been doing all the years before this. You can get honest about all this stuff, all of these dark things that you feel make you unique, but they don't. And you can go into that room and share your first step with eight of your peers and be honest with them. Or you can choose to do the first step you've always done in the past. The choice is up to you. And I thought, okay. I'm going to do the first step I've always done because that is just easier. The other is just going to be too hard. And I have to give it to her. You know, I know one of the questions you ask is name the best suggestion you've ever gotten. I would say that was probably the best suggestion I've ever gotten because had I not taken that suggestion, none of the rest that I've gotten in the last five years wouldn't have even mattered or been here. I took her suggestion and I went into that room thinking one way and for the first time asked God to help me. And I ended up doing the first step for the first real first step in my life. That a real honest, I mean, I let it all out and I don't know how it happened or what changed my mind, 
but people were coming out of that room bawling. And even the, the counselor texts were like, what's going on? And I'm like, I have no idea. And everything after that night changed. I, I don't know. I don't, I still don't have words for it. Now this deal in Arizona actually came to fruition um, through one of those counselors I had there. Um, she had randomly moved to Arizona and knew Kim Welsh, founder and, and uh, owner of In Recovery Magazine, and had made this suggestion to Kim, and Kim had called me. So, you know, you, you look back and you're like, these are like little miracles, like running into the treatment center, then I'm there. You know, then I meet Suzanne, and she suggests that you do this opportunity. I, I, it's just crazy, you know, like watching all these miracles of people in recovery, not just my own, but other people in recovery and what's happening to them, I sit back and I'm like, you cannot even write this stuff. That's my drug of choice now. I stay sober because I want to keep seeing what's not only going on for me, but everybody else. Because what I'm seeing is unreal, unreal. And I can trace it all back to that. Everything changed that last two weeks. I just surrendered, absolutely surrendered. My counselor made me carry a bag of rocks at 9,000 feet in Colorado every day a backpack of rocks for a week. And I just thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been drinking, I'm fat, I'm smoking. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to carry a backpack of rocks? Well, the whole thing was to uh, signify how I like to carry these things around and hold on to them. And boy, I got the point after a week. I really got the point. And she, she was right. You know, I needed to dump load this stuff and get on yeah. with my life, let go, absolutely. It wasn't until I let go absolutely that I could really step into recovery. And I made a choice and surrendered and let go absolutely. And that's the only thing I can say is different. That's, that's the only thing I can say is different. And, you know, now, I think the only difference is now, you know, I can have days that suck. I can have minutes that suck. I can have hours that suck. The difference for me in recovery now is I don't suck. You know, everything I do in recovery, service, meetings, you know, sharing with someone, helping another alcoholic, talking with another alcoholic, all adds to this new self-esteem foundation. And pretty soon one day you look up and you're like, you know what? I don't hate myself so much. And that's the difference now is I don't suck. I'm in, I'm in, I'm invested. And it took all of that to kind of get me here, but I didn't go looking for God. I can tell you that, but at 9,000 feet in the Rocky mountains, God happened to me. It, he just kind of happened to me, you know? And, um, all I had to do was say yes. And I've said yes to most everything from that day on, you know, Hey, do you want to host MC the gratitude gala in November? Yes. You want to chair a meeting? Yes. You know, it's, it's like, yes. Would you like to tell, you know, a, a few jokes at the AA assembly in front of 200 people, even though you've never done it before? Yes. <laughs> you know, I just, I got to suit up and show up. And uh, anything that happens from that, I know is going to be okay. The, <clears throat> the last thing I want to add is um, the first couple of years, you know, it was all about me and I need to stay sober and I've got to stay clean and I've got to do this. And, and, you know, I'm having a hard time and, and it's all about me. And now it's, it's not so much about me. Like even now, you know, this is not about me. This is transcending me to help somebody else. 
you know, that's, I just get on my knees before we, we talk and I say, God, your will, not mine. You know what? We all know I can go off on a good long tangent, just make it productive. And, um, it's about helping somebody else. And there's a ripple effect in recovery that sometimes we don't always get the gift to see, you know, if I relapse, I'm not there to get that next call. I'm not there to talk to that woman for 10 minutes after the meeting. If I relapse, I won't be there to fellowship with somebody who may be having a hard time that's thinking about drinking again. You know, it's, it's, uh, it becomes less about me and more about, you know, there's a ripple effect. Um, and those are the promises, the selfishness and the self-centeredness slips away. And for the first time in my life, I've gotten to that point where it's like, you know, look, there's some days that I just think, Oh God, I, I, I just, I'm having, I'm having a hard time, you know, but it's like, no, tomorrow will be a different day. Tomorrow is always a new day. And with this program and these tools and the support, you know, I have two friends that are the best support team I can imagine. I have a responsibility to them. I have a responsibility to my partner, to my family, to my friends. And it's, it's good to take me out of the equation. Shortly after I got sober, I was obsessed with the idea of getting my sister's big book. I really wanted her big book. And because I don't have a relationship with my parents, I, I wasn't able to ask them. So I had to ask somebody else indirectly. And, and it came to um, be known that her belongings were put in a box and given to the Goodwill. And I am pretty sure her big book was in there. So I was pretty devastated. And I could not let go of this idea of, you know, I'll call every single bookstore and Goodwill and I'll find that damn book. <laughs> I was obsessed because that's what I do, you know? Yeah. Um, that's what we all do. So I, uh, I went to bed that one night and I had a dream. And in the dream, I'm standing with my sister and I'm, I'm going through a box of her things and I find her book and I hand it to her. And I'm so excited. I've got both hands on this on this book and I'm handing it to her. And I said, Tracy, I found your book. I found your big book. Oh my God, this is amazing. You need to have this book. Please take this book. Like it's going to fix everything, you know, take this book. And she just looked at me and and shook her head and said, no, give it away. And I thought, no, I'm not going to just give your book away that. Oh, it just angers me. Please take the book. And she said, no, give it away, Don. And I woke up from the dream and I was still shaken by this dream because it seemed so real. And I'm telling my partner, I said, can you believe this dream? I said, I'm trying to give her her book. And all she can do is look at me and say, give it away, Don. And it was at that point that I literally fell to my knees and started sobbing because I got it. Give it away, Don. And that has to be the greatest gift she's ever given me. And, uh, it was as plain as day what the message was. And she was right. And so with that, I have to say Phoenix, Arizona is the one state city and state that I swore I would never step foot in. And all of my friends know it. They're like, Oh, don't ever ask Don to go to Phoenix. I would curse Phoenix, Arizona to the nines. Nope. Never going there. You know, it's like bad luck and no way. And wouldn't you guess the first place I'm taken the very first place I'm taken in this entire, hey, you look like Alan, you want to come tell some jokes, is Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> I, you know, when Kim Wells called me, I said, you know, where is this at? And she said, it's in Phoenix. And I got to say, my heart dropped. And I just thought, no way. 
please don't be there. And uh, you, you can't make that up. That is not a coincidence. So the one place I said I wouldn't go is the first place I'm going because I said yes. I said I'm going to say yes. And I have to say, you know, there's a lot of guilt of not flying to Phoenix to be there for my sister. And I have to reconcile that, you know, and this is going to be more than just going to MC the 2016 in recovery magazine gratitude gala. I feel like there's a lot of things sending me to Phoenix for other reasons. And, um, to be in Phoenix, Arizona for the first time, knowing that my sister died there in a hotel room, emceeing an event, housing hundreds of people who not only live in recovery, but who work in recovery and who want recovery. I mean, it, it humbles me to my core. And the one thing I couldn't give to her is the one thing I'm going to do. And I just, I know it's her and I know it's a higher power. And they're all saying, look, you're going to Phoenix. Sorry, kid. So when that plane touches down, I think it's going to be pretty emotional, but I'm telling you, man, I higher power has not steered me wrong yet. I'm just sitting back and he's like, Hey, you know, you're going to go to this treatment center. Then you're going to go to Phoenix, even though you say you never are. And you know, when I started this Ellen lookalike thing, it was, Hey, why don't you, somebody's having an Oscar party in LA and they just want you to come walk around their backyard for 20 bucks. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll, I'll go do that. Why not? That was the gist of it. The fact that the very first gig I'm doing is for recovery. Like I would have never in my life imagined that those two worlds were going to collide quite so quickly. I, even my agent was a little, she's like, what, what do you mean? Recovery, recovery from what? So I had to kind of explain it to her, but the whole thing has absolutely collided. And I don't know if the miracle in all of this is, is translating or not, but you, you can't make it up. You know, here I thought I was going to go do some, some Oscar parties for, you know, Bob and Marsha in Sacramento, and I'm going to do a recovery event. So it, it leaves me speechless. And, the, and I'm going to Phoenix. Like, it's just, what? So this, this to me is, is the good stuff. This is the stuff that you can't make up. This is the stuff that are in the promises. This is the stuff that keeps me in the game and keeps me trudging because my sister used to always say, never give up before the miracle happens. That was her saying. And unfortunately, um, it didn't work out for her, but I'm, I'm going to carry that torch. And uh, she's as much on my side now as she's ever been. And and she's, it's probably her cruel joke going, oh, yeah, you're going to Phoenix. I got, I got ways now. Um, <laughs> so I, I just sit back and, and I'm, dumb, I'm dumbfounded, you know? I am dumbfounded myself. That's a long, long story. And I, you know, apologize. I tend to go on. But I just, uh, God, I just, the way this whole thing is being played out, I don't have words for it, though. I, I just, it's recovery. It's a miracle. Don't leave five minutes before the miracle. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little choked up and a little disoriented from the story. It's just mind-blowing. Wow. It's just, it is absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, it is. You, you're at a loss for words because so much has happened. So many miracles have happened in your life. So much unbelievably horrific tragedy that now you can look at and go, I needed all of this to happen. Yep. All of it. 
And when you get to a point in your recovery where you can look at every single event as an absolute necessity for you to be where you're at today, then you truly are recovering. Yep. I agree. 100%. I spent so much time going, oh, you know, if only I could have gotten it at 17. If only I could have gotten it at 24. But the thing is, is that I wasn't meant to. And, and if it took all of that to have this five years and six plus months that I have now, I would do it all over again. And yes, I wish my sister was here so I could share recovery with her again, because this is the first time I've had to do it without her physically. And so that's been tough, but I wish I could have changed that. But I know that that was also part of it. And I've really come with this process. It's taken a a long time, but, um, I know it's all part of it. And I just have to have to say that, man, I mean, I, I I mean, I just don't even know what to say. I, I don't. Well, your story speaks for itself. Absolutely speaks for itself, Don. It's an absolutely epic, beautiful story. Uh, I hope you're telling this story as often as you can, or you know, you obviously don't turn down any opportunities to share your story. I know that you've, you know, now doing this Ellen impression. And guys, you have to check this out. So if you're gonna, if 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 anyone lives in Arizona, you you owe it to yourself to go to this gratitude gala. I'm in Costa Rica, so I think I'm gonna go ahead and pull that card. Uh, yeah, well, that's a hell of a commute. I mean, like, what is it there? Oh, is it like, isn't it like Wednesday noon there or something? <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, it's probably like Wednesday at noon at his place or something. You know, it's well, Thursday here, but yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I could probably get away with saying that, but the reality is that it's it's we're only an hour difference. <laughs> So. Oh my God, that just ruined the whole thing. I know, I know it did. I'm like, oh yeah, but I, he lives in Mars. Yeah, He's but, from Mars. But ways, yeah. way, the ways directions, this is a long way. He's so far away. Wow. You know, but whatever it takes, whatever road we've all had to take to get to where we're at, we have these amazing stories. We have these amazing experiences. We have all this love and experience and hope to give and to share. And just like that dream that came to you from your sister, that is all higher power working in your life through your sister to tell you your obligation is to just give it back. Yep. Give that, it away, Don. Give you it know, away. And the, the thing is, you know, I, I make this real clear to people. They'll say, you know, the Ellen thing, the Ellen thing, the Ellen thing. And I don't really care about it, to be quite honest. I, I, I admit that we, her and I do have this weird, uncanny similarity going, but I finally, you know, I ran from it for years. I've been hearing this for years. And then one day I just decided to stop running and let it catch me and said, okay, all right, you know what? If it makes people happy, then let's do it. And, um, it's just a, it's just a a means to an end. I show up as Ellen and then people meet Dawn and that's, that's how it works out. And, uh, there's no imitation. It's just, it is what it is. And the only thing I want is, you know, I don't, I don't. And even with the comedy, it's about bringing something good and especially in recovery. I mean, apparently it's okay to make jokes at a coffee house about being gay, but when you start making 
you know, talking about meth in jail, that they tend to grab their kids and run. And this just happened last week. So <laughs> we're, we're fresh off the mark here. Apparently it's not okay to talk about your path to, of addiction to recovery. That tends to freak people out. And that is what needs to change. You know, they're like, okay, we have our homeschool kids here. We don't care if you talk about being gay. Well, I didn't realize I should have told them I was going to talk about meth in jail because that <laughs> freaked them out. So it's like, that's indicative of the deal here. I am the face of recovery and I look like Ellen for God's sake. You know, I mean, we're past the whole bums in the street thing here. Yes. And it's about, there's this anonymous, not anonymous movement. And I want to be a part of that. Me being Ellen or, or telling jokes about recovery. You know, I don't want fame or fortune from that, to be quite honest. I just want a bigger platform to reach more people in recovery to do something good. That's all I want, you know, because there's a lot of stigma and that's what we need to work to shut down because when it's okay to talk about being gay, but not being in recovery, I, I take that as, as a note and say, okay, that's our focus. Let's change that. I agree 100%. And, you know, the good news is that at least in the coastal states, right, California, New York, Miami, uh, Florida, you know, over there, everybody's open about being in recovery, uh, about what the last high-end recovery or, or rehab center they were at. It's a celebrity entitlement, so to speak. And in a lot of the coastal, it's just as we get closer in, the stigma's still there. But I think we've done a tremendous job, a tremendous job of, of, of crushing a lot of it uh, for a lot of people, a lot more than it used to be. Sure, there's work that needs to be done. We're doing it right now, but it certainly is leaps and bounds ahead of, you know, just like right now, openly being gay is something that nobody really even thinks about or questions. But, you know, a few years back, you know, yeah. you, know you, you get up on stage and go, I think she's gay. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where we're, we're doing a, a fair share of crushing a lot of that. And that's what's important. Um, curious though, has, uh, have you reached out to Ellen or has Ellen reached out to you or has she seen any of your stuff? Um, well, when I got the restraining order, I, uh, I was a little surprised. I'm not going to lie. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I would cease and desist, but I can't. This is my hair. I just, uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I I know a lot of people have written to the show, have sent emails to the show. They've they've tagged things. You know, last year I ended up on a meme. Uh, 24 times people actually thought they had met a celebrity, and I was number 24. Um, <laughs> there was a picture of me at OSU with some students who thought I was Ellen. Long story. But um, they've sent her all kinds of stuff and nothing has ever came of it. And that's okay. That's okay. I, I don't honestly, I don't know that that will ever happen, but it, it you know, it is what it is. And, and yeah, I just going to let it go. It is what it is. And if it happened, yeah. It, 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 listen, the, the journey, the journey's not over, right? Right. <laughs> the journey, the, the journey began five years ago and it'll end when we're all dead and gone. Right. But until then, we're on a we're on a magical boat ride that does not end and you know we never know where it's going to take us you know as long as we're doing the next right thing as long as we're you know connected with a higher power connected with our group with our program then we have nothing to worry about we can just kind of kick back and flow with it 
Exactly. And, and that next right thing has never let me down once. So whatever that is in any given moment, if that's meeting Ellen or, or whatever, I, it is what it is. I'm not driving the car anymore. I'm just showing up. And as each thing comes up, I'll say yes or no, if it, if it's in the greater good and, and go from there. And, uh, I mean, I think she'd probably like me and she's probably, you know, I'm funnier than her. So that's probably it. She's like, Oh my God, you're funnier than me. And I'm like, I know I am. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that's what it is. Omar. It's a little jealousy. Is what I it absolutely is. agree. Yep. I couldn't agree more. It's so transparent. Oh my God. You know, and normally folks, you know, uh, Dawn cheated. She looked at all the questions before the interview. She answered them all in her story. Uh, so she's, she hasn't left me with much to close with. I kind of hijacked your interview. Sorry about that, man. I've never been so grateful, uh, for being hijacked than I am tonight. I absolutely loved your story. Just loved it. It's beautiful. Well, I mean, I'm, I just can't tell you how grateful I am for you giving a voice to it and, uh, and letting me share it. It's hard for me to, to share that much of it, but, um, I appreciate it, and, and thank you so much for, for gifting me that voice. It's absolutely an honor and a privilege. So I am going to ask you one last question before we close up. If you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? <laughs> Don't give up before the miracle happens, hands down. Absolutely not. Hang in there. Hang in there. Change is possible. Change is a gift that is possible for everyone. I don't care who you are. Change is a gift that's possible. Just be a little bit willing. And if you can't be willing, be willing to be willing. And if you can't be willing to be willing, be willing to be willing to be willing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes it goes to that level. But my God, just just hang in there. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful suggestion. Again, thank you so much for joining us, Don. Thank you, Omar. I appreciate you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Again, it's an honor and a privilege. So folks... We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.